as an organism, going as a river, with no more separation. Let the whole Sangha breathe as one body, chant as one body, listen as one body, and transcend the boundaries of the delusive self, liberating from the superiority complex, the inferiority complex, and the equality complex.
Breathing in, <coughs> I see myself as a flower. Breathing out, I feel fresh. Breathing in, I know I am alive. Breathing out, I smile to life in me and around me. Breathing in, I know this is a beautiful morning. Breathing out, I feel happy. <coughs> Good morning, dear Sangha. Today is uh, Monday, the 9th of July, 2012, and we are in the Full Moon Meditation Hall of New Hamlet, Plum Village, and this is a happy moment. <coughs> you know, this is uh, uh, a summer opening, and this year is the 30th uh, summer opening. Plum village. <coughs> I remember um, when the children came for the first uh, summer opening, they learned how to to bow. Uh, in countries like uh, India, Thailand, and so on, not, on, uh, not only the Buddhists, uh, they bow like this, but also the non-Buddhists, they also bow like this when they meet each other. <coughs> and before the Prime Minister of India speak to his people, her people, they always bow like this. <coughs> so in uh, the tradition of Plum Village, uh, we do it mindfully. We don't do it like a machine. This is not Plum Village uh, style. Every time we bow to another person, we have to bow in mindfulness. Suppose you are walking mindfully and you see someone coming in the other in the other direction. You would like to bow to him or to her. So you stop and you breathe in mindfully. 
Because we are in blameless, we have to learn the way of blameless. We take time in order to bow to each other, to bow in such a way that make uh, us happy and make the other person happy also. So when you are about to to bow to a person, breathe in mindfully. It means that when you breathe in, you know that you are breathing in. You don't think of other things. You just. And during that time of breathing in, you bring your hands up and you form a lotus flower. You have to see that you are making a lotus flower, not thinking. Your mind is focusing on the fact that you are joining your palms and form a lotus flower. And then after you have a joint, you have formed a lotus flower with two, your two hands. And you bow. You breathe out and you bow to the other person. And mindfully, with all the respect. So breathing in, we can say, this is a lotus for you. This is a lotus flower for you. And when you breathe out, you bow and you say, You who are a Buddha to be. Now this is the way we, we bow in plumless. <clears throat> a lotus for you. A Buddha to be. And this is a, a very deep practice <coughs> because you, when you bow to the other person, <coughs> you see that in him or in her, there is the capacity to love and to understand. Everyone has the capacity to love and to understand. But if we do, we do not practice, our capacity to love and to understand cannot grow. And that is why when you bow like this, with mindfulness and with respect to the other person, the seed of understanding and the seed of love in you are water, and they grow. A lotus for you, a Buddha to be. You are a Buddha to be. You are not a full Buddha now because your understanding and your love is not fully developed. But if you practice, you become a Buddha. I can see that you are a future Buddha. So that is uh, respect to recognize the Buddhahood of the other person. Buddhahood. Buddhahood. 
in Chinese we, we write like this Faktan. Buddhahood. In Sanskrit, Buddhata. So Buddhahood means uh, the capacity to become a Buddha. And everyone of us has the capacity, the potential to become a Buddha if we know how to practice. A Buddha is someone who has a lot of love and a lot of understanding. A Buddha is someone that has brought his understanding and love to the highest point. And you have the seat of love and you have the seat of understanding in you. And the other person in front of you, she also has the seat of understanding and the seat of love in her. So in the teaching of Buddhism, everyone can be a Buddha because everyone has the seat of understanding and of love in him or in her. So when you see that, you do not underestimate him or her anymore. You know that if she is given a chance to practice, she can become a full Buddha, a full Bodhisattva. And with that kind of insight, with that kind of understanding, you bow with respect. And when you bow like this, the seed of understanding and love in you grow, grow. And that is why to bow is a deep practice. And you should not do like a machine. You do like a practitioner. A lotus for you, a Buddha to be. So while breathing in, we form a lotus flowers. We say, a lotus for you. And while breathing now, you bow and you say, you who are a Buddha to me. That is our practice. <clears throat> you know, uh, it is the French uh, who, who, who taught us how to shake hands. In Vietnam, we did not know how to shake hands. Uh, because when we meet each other, we bow only. <laughs> but we only began to shake hands with the coming of the French. They taught us how to shake hands. In the beginning, we found it very funny. <laughs> Imagine the two person meeting each other and hold hands and shake like this. We found it very funny. <laughs> but finally, we adapted it. And now it's very natural. We can do it naturally. <laughs> but when you go to the temple, you still want to keep uh, the traditional way of uh, greeting. And many Westerners, when they come to a Buddhist temple, they learn also, instead of doing like that, they, they bow. <clears throat> In 1966, when I came to America in order to call for peace, <clears throat> I met with many people, Protestant ministers, Catholic priests, senators, uh, minister of defense, <clears throat> And uh, <clears throat> when I meet them, the first thing is to bow 
in the Buddhist way, and then I <laughs> I have to to learn. I have to learn <laughs> because uh, you know, if you refuse to take hand, that's not very polite. That is why I learned how to <laughs> shake. Now I can do it. <laughs> I can do it naturally also. Yeah. You know, when I met Martin Luther King, I also bowed to him like this. <laughs> and after that, we shook hands. <laughs> I met um, Martin Luther King on, the, on June the 1st, 1966, when you were not born yet. <clears throat> and we discussed uh, about many things including how to bring peace in Vietnam and how to, how to build a Sangha, a community of practice. Uh, Martin Luther King did not use the word uh, Sangha, but he used the word uh, beloved community, the beloved community. <coughs> so when... Uh, when, uh, when we opened Plum Village for the first time. Uh, we taught children how to how to bow. And uh, there was one boy who said, "Well, how can we do both at the same time? Instead of buying first and then shaking hand uh, later, we can do both." So I. I offer them a method, method of practice. I need some volunteer to come. <laughs> come. Two of you, two boys. Mm. Mm. First we do the Buddhist way. Yeah. Mm. Lotus for you, Rebuka, to be. You, you go from there and you go from, from there. And you, you stand and you breathe in lotus for you, the Buddha to be. That's the Buddhist way. Now the Western way, you go and shake hands. <laughs> not yet, not yet. <laughs> now we want to do it at the same time. We uh, have. Uh, one hand, we make half a lotus, and the other hand, we shake. <laughs> Do it again, please. <laughs> now I need two girls. You do the same. Do the Buddhist way. A lotus for you, a Buddha to be. Do the Western way, entirely Western way. <laughs> now both way at the same time. <laughs> But there is, uh, there, there was one, one, 
còn bò sẹt I don't like to have uh, the lotus split into half I want to have the lotus flower whole so I propose uh, this formula come and this is a taste proposal You can do both, and you not only you can shake hand, but you have a full lotus. You see, full lotus. Uh, yesterday we uh, we we learned the practice of uh, flower flesh. We learned that um, a human being, the the. The body of a human being is beautiful, as beautiful as a flower. So you say that the face, the the face of a person is beautiful like a flower, and the hand of a person is also like a flower. So if we we think that uh, if we can see that uh, our hand is a kind of flower. And you can, uh, you know that uh, when, where, where is uh, Thay's um, little bell? <coughs> Every time uh, Thay uh, invite the bell to sound with the small bell, He always uh, visualizes his uh, hand as a flower and the bell as uh, a jewel and put in the heart of a lotus flower. So when he he bring his hand up, he he sees his hand as a lotus flower with five petals. And uh, he sees that uh, the little bell is a jewel in the heart of a flower. And he breathes with that kind of image, very beautiful. Uh, breathing in, breathing out, and calm himself uh, with the gata, uh, body, speech, and mind in perfect oneness. I send my heart along with the sound of this bell. May all of you who listen to me awaken from forgetfulness and transcend the path of anxiety and sorrow. That's what uh, they visualize. During the time he recited the gata, <clears throat> and uh, there is uh, a, a dharani that many uh, Tibetan uh, Buddhists practice, uh, Om Mani Padme Hum. Uh, Padme is the lotus, Mani is the jewel. Om Mani Padme Hum means oh, the jewel in the heart of a lotus flower. And that is the meaning of uh, Om Mani Padme Hum. Mani is the, the jewel, La Pierre Precious. And Padme, Padma, Padme, Padma is uh, the lotus. Padme means in the lotus. <clears throat> so from time to time, they see a friend coming. And uh, 
his hand, his right hand may be holding something like uh, a book, and the other hand, they do like this to greet. It means uh, they is offering also a flower. So you might like to do the same. When you meet a friend, if you do like this, visualize that you are offering him or her a, a flower. It's more beautiful. Not just a uh, making sign, but this is a flower. And in Plum Ridge, after someone sings to you a song or say something beautiful, you bloom as a flower. Instead of doing like this, you do like this. Very nice. So we have always flowers throughout the day. Now I would like to recommend to you a practice that I think to be very important and I hope that you can bring it home. <clears throat> when someone gets angry at you, and about to strike you, to hit you, he is insulting you. What? should you do if you are a good practitioner. Someone is angry at you. Someone is uh, saying mean things to you. Someone who is about to hit you. He He does not look beautiful. She does not look beautiful when anger is getting hold of him or her. And that is the first thing you have to see. That person isn't to be fooled because he is being get hold by anger and violence. I don't want to be like, like that. I don't want to be like that. I have the seat of freshness. I can be a flower. I can be fresh. I will not use anger in order to meet with anger. I will use my freshness, my peace, in order to meet with his anger. If you are a good practitioner, and then you can do that. You see that you have the Buddhahood in you. You have the seed of freshness. You have the seed of peace. You have seed of freedom. You have seed of stability. We have learned these four things yesterday. And instead of using anger to meet with anger, we want to use something else more beautiful to meet with anger. And if uh, if uh, I do according to the teaching of Buddha. I will, uh, I will have a victory. I will arrive at victory not only for myself, but for that person also. Victory for both, that is the teaching of the Buddha. In a conflict, if you know how to use understanding and love and freshness in order to meet with 
anger and violence, you win. Not, not only for yourself, but you win for both. Victory for both. That is what the Buddha teaches. So next time when you see someone angry at you, insulting you, trying to hit you, you should breathe in and you say, I will not use anger to meet with anger. Violence to meet with violence. I will use something else. I use the better part of myself, the Buddhahood in myself. I will use my freshness, my smile, my peace, my compassion to meet. And compassion is possible. Because when you look at a person angry, violent like that, you see that that person is not happy at all. And if you allow anger to get hold of you, you will be like him or her. Not beautiful. And that is why you are determined not to do like that. Not to meet anger with anger. Not to meet violence with, with violence. We can use love, understanding, freshness. And if we learn, we can do that. Many of us have learned, many of us have been able to do that. So the first thing you see is that that person is not happy. That person is not beautiful. When anger is getting hold of him or her like that, I don't want to be like that. And that alone, if you remember, remind you remember that alone, that is already great, because you will not follow his way or her way. You follow the way of love. You follow the 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 way of uh, non-violence. So in you there is compassion, compassion for him, because he. He is someone who suffers, who is not happy. If someone is happy, he is not behaving like that. You don't want to punish him. Instead, you want to help him. So you say, look, my friend. We can be flowers to each other. We can be uh, still water to each other. And uh, you are not going to say something violent, to do something violent. Instead, you are using your in-breath, your out-breath, your smile, in order to help calm that person down. So uh, today we have to learn that... uh, In us, there is a seed of uh, love, of compassion, of uh, wisdom. understanding we have to believe in the goodness in the goodness of man 
there is goodness in me. There is goodness in you. It means uh, I am capable of loving. I am capable of understanding. I am capable of forgiving. I am capable of peace. I am capable of freshness. And you, you have to believe in it because it is the truth. In the past, you have, you have been understanding and compassionate and fresh. And that is why you know that you have all these good seeds in you. A practitioner who does not believe that cannot be a good practitioner. We have to believe in our own goodness, in our own Buddhahood. And we have to believe that the other person also have these seeds. Now he is angry, now he is violent, but that does not mean that the seeds of goodness are not in him. And maybe, maybe I am, I can be the person that can help these good seeds to, in him to sprout. He is angry, he is violent, but if you are a very good practitioner, you can help transform him, you can help him to, to allow the seed of understanding and compassion and gentleness in him to manifest. And that is a big victory. So uh, we learn that there are seeds of love and understanding in you, there is also the seed of understanding and compassion in him or in her. And if you are a good practitioner, you can wake up the good seeds in him so that he can transform and he can be a happy person. And many of us have been able to do that with our practice. We don't see them, the seeds of understanding, the seeds of uh, the seed of understanding, the seed of love. We don't see, but they are in us. Because uh, sometimes we show that we can understand. Sometimes we show that we can love, we can forgive. Therefore, even we don't see these seeds, but they are very well in us and they are also in the other person. So when the other person is angry, is violent, you know that in him, not only there is the seed of violence, the seed of anger, but there is the seed of understanding and compassion in him also. And if you arrive at helping the good seed in him to to manifest, and then you are a very wonderful friend. In, in the Buddhist tradition, we speak a lot of seeds, of the seed. The Chinese uh, word is chung tử.
Uh, the French is a Simmons. Simmons. And the Sanskrit is Bija. I have a seed of Buddhahood in me. I can become a Buddha. I have the seed of love in me. I can be a wonderful lover. I have the seed of understanding in me. I can, I can, I can understand the suffering in me. I can understand the suffering in him and in the world. And I can help. And so that, that is why when we form a lotus flower and we offer to him or to her, we recognize the good seed in him or in her. Never lose, uh, never lose your hope. Even if they are violent, <coughs> angry, not pleasant at all, but there must be a way to help the seed of understanding, nonviolence, and compassion in that person to wake up. When you hear the small bell, I mean the young people, you may like to stand up and bow to the Sangha the way you have been taught and go out and continue your practice outside. Stand up. Turn to the Sangha. Turn to the beloved community. Form a lotus flower. Breathe in and bow. Have a nice day. Dear friends, uh, ten, about 20 years ago, um, there was a British uh, lady who, uh, who worked as a volunteer in our office in Paris. I think... Um, more than 30 years ago. Uh, it was during the war, and in Paris we have an office uh, for the Vietnamese Buddhist peace delegation. There were peace negotiations 
in Paris. And uh, we represented uh, the Buddhist uh, community in Vietnam and to speak for, the, for, for those who are not represented uh, officially in the negotiations. And we had an office uh, in Rue de la Goutte d'Or and had to climb five uh, uh, stalls to, uh, to our office uh, every morning. Edwin is uh, a volunteer working, among others, working with us. And she belongs to, uh, to uh, the Association of Peace Corps Fellowship of uh, Reconciliation. She believes uh, that when she dies, she will go to heaven. She will go to the kingdom of God where she will meet her husband. Her husband died at the age of 30. And she was, uh, when she worked in our office, she was uh, more than 70. And many of us believe in the kingdom of God uh, uh, that exists somewhere above. And uh, after we die, we will go there and to be with God, the Father. And we will no longer suffer like we, we do down here. And many of us still believe uh, in that way. One day, I, during tea time, I asked Edwin, Edwin, do you think that uh, when you go there, you can recognize your husband? Because he died more than 30 years ago. He's, he's, he may be very old now. And uh, you think you can recognize him? And that make her think uh, a lot. Because uh, in her mind, she, she had been uh, believing that uh, when she died, she go there and she meet uh, her husband exactly like 30 years ago. And if uh, her husband is 30 years and now she is 75, that would not look right. <laughs> One person is still very young and not still very old. That doesn't look right. So she began to think, to think about her belief. At that time, we did not have uh, a place uh, to, uh, to welcome people to come for sitting meditation. So we, uh, we organized sitting meditation uh, every weekend in the Quaker Center uh, in Paris, Rue Vaugira. And while, uh, while uh, trying to uh, work for peace, uh, we continue the practice of sitting meditation, walking meditation, and so on. Uh, Moby Warren, who translated All Path High Cloud, she was only 20 years, and I taught her Vietnamese. She worked also in the 
Vietnamese Buddhist peace delegation. And she learned so quickly that later on she could translate many of Thai's books from Vietnamese to uh, English. The first book uh, she helped translate is The Miracle of Mindfulness. And by that time, her Vietnamese is not good enough. So I helped her, I taught her. And uh, I thought that if I translated my, myself, it's much quick, quicker. <laughs> but finally she learned and then she was able to translate many of my books. Uh, I was uh, in exile for um, for 40 years uh, before I was allowed to go back to Vietnam for a visit in 2005. Many Buddhists uh, in the Pure Land school believe that uh, when they die, they will be, re- be reborn in uh, the land of uh, Amitabha Buddha. So the belief is not very different. Amitabha Buddha tried to build a Sangha over there. And uh, when you go there, uh, you, you have a practicing Sangha. And you have a chance to practice until you become a full Buddha. And that is uh, the aspiration of uh, practitioners in a pure land uh, school. In Plum Village, uh, we do not reject uh, the teaching of uh, the Pure Land. We do not reject the teaching of uh, the Kingdom of God. Uh, we follow the teaching of the Buddha and uh, recognize that the Pure Land is uh, possible in the here and the now. And the Kingdom of God is also possible, available in the here and the now. Now, if you want to be in the kingdom of God, if you want to be in the pure land of Buddha, you can be there, right here and right now. You don't have to die. That is the teaching of privilege. And when we practice walking meditation, we walk in such a way that each uh, step helps us to touch the kingdom of God and to touch the pure land of Buddha in the here and the now. And many of us succeed. We don't hope for a pure land or for a kingdom of God elsewhere in the future. And uh, we say it very strongly that the pure land is now or never. The kingdom of God is now or, or never. This is the teaching and the practice of Plum Village. So when you come with us to Plum Village and practice, you are offered nothing less than the pure land of the Buddha, the kingdom of God. And if we know how to generate the energy of mindfulness and concentration and insight, and then you can get in touch with the kingdom of God in the here and the now. You can get in touch with the pure land of the Buddha in the here and the now. And uh, a good practitioner always sit in the, in the kingdom of God, always walk in the kingdom of God, and cook and take a shower in the kingdom of God. They don't 
need to wait until they die in order to go to the kingdom. This is the insight and the practice of Plum Village. And we say it very strongly, very clearly, that the kingdom is now or never. Everything you are looking for is available in the here and the now. Usually we have the idea that the kingdom of God is a place where there is no suffering. Now the pure land of the Buddha is a place uh, where there is no suffering, there is only happiness. And if uh, we reflect on that, we'll find that that idea is uh, somehow naive. When you practice looking deeply, you see things uh, are interconnected. When you see, uh, when you look at the lotus flowers deeply, you see that uh, lotus flowers are made of uh, non-lotus elements and including the mud. Without the mud, you cannot produce a lotus flower. And meditation is an act of looking deeply. When you look into the lotus flower, you see many non-lotus elements, including the mud. You cannot take the mud out of the lotus. You can see the mud in the lotus. You can see the sunshine, the rain, everything else in the lotus flower. And when, when, when you look at the human being, you can see the same. You, you see that the human is made only of non-human elements, namely the mineral, the vegetable, and the animal. You cannot take all these non-human elements from the human being, because if you did, the human being does not does no longer exist, can no longer exist. So that is the teaching of interbeing. You cannot be by yourself alone. You have to interbe with everything else. And that is why when we, you look at Buddhism. You see the same. Buddhism is made only of non-Buddhist elements. And everywhere you look, you can see non-Buddhist elements that you can make use in order to make your Buddhism. And if you remove all these non-Buddhist elements, there will be no longer any Buddhism for you. So with that insight, you are no longer fanatical about Buddhism. You are free from Buddhism. We are free from the Buddha, we are free from Buddhism, because a Buddha is also made of non-Buddha elements. Look into a Buddha. You see suffering, you see afflictions, you see sorrow, you see birth and death. These non-Buddha elements have been used in order to make a Buddha, like a lotus flower. 
you use elements like mud, water, cloud, sunshine, you know, to make a lotus. So the same thing is true with happiness. Happiness is made only of non-happiness element. And that is why running away from what you call suffering in order to look for happiness is a kind of naive uh, attitude. And yet our natural tendency is to try to run away from suffering in order to, to look for happiness. We do not know that suffering and happiness, they inter-are. Happiness is made of non-happiness elements. Suffering is made also of non-suffering elements. A flower is made of uh, non-flower elements, including the compost. You need the compost in order to nourish the flower. And in order to make compost, you need uh, the garbage. So if you are a good organic gardener, you don't throw away the garbage. You, you make good use of the garbage in order to make compost, in order to nourish your flower. So a practitioner has that kind of insight. She has in her suffering, fear, anger, despair, and that is the garbage. And she does not want to throw this away. She knows that if she can make good use of this garbage, she can make uh, peace, happiness, love, and so on. Looking very deeply, you see that uh, things are impermanent. A flower is beautiful, is fragrant, but she is on her way to become a piece of garbage. If you meditate, you can see the garbage right now. But if you don't meditate, you have to wait seven days and then your flower will become a piece of garbage. <laughs> For meditator, we don't have to wait. We can see the garbage right now. We can see the future right in the present. The flower is beautiful like this, but she is on her way to the heap of the garbage. That is the truth. And if you look at the same, in the same way, you see at the heap of garbage. And you know that if you are a good organic gardener, you can transform that heap of garbage into vegetables, lettuce, cucumber, in just uh, a few weeks, a month or so. So everything is organic. Your suffering and your happiness, they are all organic. If uh, your love has degenerated into something else, like anger or hate or despair, you should not be, you should not lose your hope. Because as an organic gardener, as a good practitioner, you can transform that anger, that hate back into love again. Because the truth is that 
if the flower on her is on her way to the garbage, the garbage can be on her way to become flower again. Uh, in the Buddhist teaching, everything is organic. And the same thing is true with uh, of, uh, of suffering and happiness. Without the element of suffering, you cannot create happiness. That is the Buddhist insight. So let us not to be afraid of suffering. Let us learn how to make good use of suffering in order to create happiness. That's the Buddhist way. The, the basic teaching of the Buddha is uh, the Four Noble Truths. And the first truth is uh, suffering. And the third is happiness, the end of suffering. And if you don't understand suffering, you do not know how to make good use of suffering in order to make uh, the flower of happiness, which is the third noble truth, the cessation of suffering, the existence of happiness. Uh, when, when we uh, practice uh, going home to ourselves and get in touch with suffering inside, we are doing the correct thing. We get in touch with the first noble truth. There is suffering in us. We have to recognize the fact. There is a garbage in us. And our suffering may carry within itself the suffering of our father and our mother. It usually is. You can look deeply into your own suffering and you can see the suffering of your father, your mother, in your suffering. And if we look uh, more deeply, we can see the suffering of our ancestors also. Because many of our ancestors did not know how to handle their suffering. They could not uh, transform their suffering. That is why they have handed down the suffering to us. We have inherited from that kind of collective suffering. Sometimes we suffer and we don't know why we suffer like that. It does not seem that I have not created that suffering for myself. I must have inherited it from my ancestor, my father, my mother. But if you encounter the Buddha Dharma, you have a chance. You have a chance to embrace your own suffering and look deeply in order to arrive at understanding. Understanding the first noble truth. And that is the second noble truth. Understanding the making of the suffering. How suffering is being made. How suffering has come and settled there. And what is wonderful is that once you have understood the nature of your suffering, you begin to transform. But understanding always bring compassion. When you understand your own suffering, you don't blame yourself anymore. When you understand his suffering, you don't blame him anymore. You see that he is the victim of his own suffering, the suffering of his father and mother. 
and because he has suffered like that, and he has not been able to understand his suffering, he did not know. He does not know how to handle his suffering, so he continues to be a victim of his own suffering, and you may be a second victim, or a third victim. Our children can be victims of the suffering of parents. So with that kind of understanding that that person has a lot of suffering in him or in her, and that person does not know how to handle and transform the suffering, he needs help. He does not need punishment. So when you have seen that, compassion is born in you. And when compassion is born in you, you suffer less right away. Instead of trying to punish him for having made you suffer, you are motivated by the desire to do something, to say something, to help him suffer less. And that is the miracle of practice. Understanding suffering generates compassion. And when there is compassion in your heart, you suffer less right away. And uh, we have to agree with each other that true happiness is made of understanding and compassion. True happiness is not made with fame, power, sex, and wealth. And there are plenty of people who have plenty of these four things, but they suffer very deeply. So you have to agree with each other, with the five mindfulness trainings, that true happiness is made of understanding and love. A person who does not have love and compassion within himself cannot be a happy person. A person without compassion and love can never relate to any other person. He is completely cut off. He cannot be a happy person. That is why we know that love, and love, compassion is a basic condition for happiness. And we know how to generate compassion and love by touching suffering, understanding suffering. And that is why we have to learn how to go back to ourselves and get in touch with our suffering and try to understand our own suffering. If you understand your own suffering, and then you'll be able to understand the suffering of the other person, of your country, of your people. And according to this teaching, understanding suffering always brings <coughs> compassion and, uh, and the willingness to help. Can you love someone if you don't understand him or her? No. A father who does not understand the difficulty and the suffering of his son can never love his son and make him happy. Even if he has a willingness, big willingness to love. But the more he loves, the more he makes his son suffer because there is no understanding. So if the father understands 
the suffering and the difficulty of the son, he can love him and make him suffer less. And that is why understanding is the other name of love. To understand is already to love. And when you love with true love, it means you have understood. Understanding here is first of all understanding suffering. So that is why it's very good to look at the other person and ask the question, Darling, do you think I understand you enough? Have I understood all your suffering and difficulties? Because I, I know that uh, if I don't understand your difficulties and your suffering, I cannot love you and make you happy. So if you think that I have not understand, I have not understood you enough, please help me. Please tell me what is in your heart. Please tell me of your suffering, your difficulties, so that I can, I can understand. And once I have understood, I will not make you suffer anymore. And that is the willingness to love, the willingness to understand the suffering. You cannot love someone if you do not understand him or her. And understanding here is first of all understanding suffering. So suffering is a very important ingredient to to generate understanding and love. And suppose you send your children to a place where there is no suffering. Your children have no way no means in order to cultivate understanding and love. And he cannot, they cannot be a happy person. Your children have to encounter suffering. And if your children know how to understand suffering, he will grow up as a good human being. And he will be able, they will be able to develop understanding and love in them and become a happy person. And that is why my idea of the kingdom of God is not a place where there is no suffering. If there is no suffering, there is no understanding and love either. It's like they, if there is no mud, there is no lotus. You cannot grow lotus on marbles. On marble. We have to grow our lotus on the mud. We have to create, generate understanding and love on the ground of suffering. That is why the teaching of Buddha is very practical. You have to go back and touch the suffering in you and try to understand it. And once you have understood, you suffer less. And you can understand the suffering of the other person and you'll be compassionate toward him or her. And you can help him, her, him or her suffer less. That is true love. So my definition of the kingdom of God is not a place where there is no suffering, but a place where people know how to make good use of suffering. And I'm very happy to have that uh, 
definition of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is a place where people know how to make good use of suffering, where people know how to learn to understand suffering in order to generate the energy of understanding and love. So our idea that the kingdom of God, pure land of Buddha, is a place where there is no suffering is a quite naive idea. And with that kind of sight, you are no longer afraid of suffering. You are no longer willing to run away from suffering. You stop and you begin to look at your suffering with calm, with peace. And you are able to hold suffering tenderly and have a look, a deep look, in order to begin to understand the nature of your suffering. The Buddha said, what has come to be, namely your suffering? What has come to be? If you know how to look into its nature and identify the source of uh, nutriment that has brought it in, and you are already on the path of uh, transformation and healing. The Buddha was talking of the second noble truth in terms of uh, nutriment. Nutriment is food. If the lotus does not have food, the lotus cannot grow. We have to give uh, the mud, the water, the heat, and so on. So your suffering also needs food in order to survive. And because you have been feeding your suffering, that is why your suffering continues. If you know how to cut the source of uh, nutriment, and then your suffering will have to die, will have to transform. Your love is the same. The Buddha said nothing can survive without food, including your love. If you do not know how to feed your love, your love will die. Your love will turn into something else, like despair, hate, anger. The same thing is true with your depression, with your suffering. You have been feeding your depression. You have consumed in such a way that keep your depression alive for many months. And if you look deeply into the nature of your suffering, namely your depression, you will identify the source of food that you have used in order to feed your depression. And if you identify the source of nutriment that you have been using to feed your depression, you can cut off that source of nutriment and then your depression will have to go away in a few weeks because there is no more food for it to continue. So that is the second noble truth. 
And in this case, the Buddha described the second noble truth in terms of nutriment. And he said, what has come to be, namely your suffering? If you know how to look deeply into its nature and identify the source of food that you have used to feed it, you are already on the path of transformation and healing. And that is why it's very important to come back and to touch our own suffering and to have the courage to look deeply. And many of us do not have that kind of courage. We feel that we, if we go back to us, <clears throat> we encounter the block of suffering inside and we will be overwhelmed by it. And that is why many of us try to run away from our own suffering using the means of consumption. We try to turn television on, not because the program is very good, but because uh, we don't want to be without suffering. We want to cover up with something else. In this case, the consumption of television. We play the music. We open the refrigerator to eat, even if we are not hungry. We eat because we want to cover up the suffering inside. And we do many things like that. And the market provides us with all kinds of things so that we can use in order to cover up the suffering. Books, magazines, television, cinemas, conversations, internet. We always try to run away from ourselves. We do not have the courage to go home and to rearrange, to restore harmony and peace and to build true happiness. This is, this is a fear. But with the practice of mindfulness, <clears throat> we can go home with strength and courage. Because uh, with the practice of mindful walking, mindful breathing, we can generate the energy of mindfulness, concentration, and insight. And equipped with that, that kind of energy, you can go home without fear. Hello there, my suffering. I know you are still there. I will take good care of you. And with the practice uh, continued, you can learn to embrace your own suffering and have a deep look and try to understand your suffering, the suffering of your father, your mother in it, the suffering of your uh, ancestors in it, the suffering of the world in it. We, we do like uh, a loving mother uh, uh, embracing her baby with mindful breathing, mindful walking. And uh, with mindfulness concentration, you look deeply into the nature of your suffering and you will discover 
you can discover the truth about uh, the making of suffering, the second noble truth. And when you touch the second noble truth, understanding arises and compassion begins to flow and you suffer less. And when you look at the other person, you can see the suffering in him or in her, you understand and you are filled with compassion. The way you look at him is different now. You are looking at him with compassion and not with anger anymore. Transformation is taking place. If uh, we are a beginner in a practice, the energy of mindfulness, concentration and insight is not strong enough for us to go home and embrace our suffering. And then we need the collective energy of a group, of a Sangha in order to do that. You need a Sangha. You need brothers and sisters in the practice who are capable of generating mindfulness, concentration and insight. You sit with them and you tell them silently, Dear brothers and sisters in the practice, here is the block of pain in my heart. Here is my sorrow, my despair, my fear. Alone, I would not be able to embrace it because I am a beginner in the practice. So please help me. So you open your heart and allow the Sangha, the collective energy of mindfulness of the Sangha, to penetrate into your heart and help embrace the block of suffering in you. You just sit there, open your heart and breathe. And you entrust yourself to the Sangha. That is a practice in the Buddhist tradition. Sanghang Saranang Gachami. I take refuge in the Sangha. It's not a declaration of faith. It is a practice. You have to entrust yourself to the Sangha like uh, a drop of water allow herself to be transported by the river. Don't be a drop of water, be a river. And you will be embraced and transported by the Sangha and transformation and healing will take place. And if we continue like that, we can help others also because one day our mindfulness, concentration and insight will be strong enough to take care of us and to help take care of uh, other people. It's much easier to practice with the Sangha than to practice alone. That is why it's wonderful to have uh, friends coming together and doing walking meditation together, sitting meditation together, chanting, listening together, Dhamma discussion together. Because together we can generate a very powerful energy of mindfulness, peace, concentration, and brotherhood that can uh, help uh, heal and transform uh, uh, each person who finds himself or herself in the Sangha. It is uh, like uh, the left and the right. The left and the right 
are not enemies. You cannot take the left out of the right, the right out of the left. I cannot say, dear sister, come and take the left and go to Bordeaux. Dear brother, come and take the right and go to Paris. It's not possible. Because the left lean on the right in order to be. The right leans on the left in order to be. The same thing is true with suffering and happiness. You cannot separate the two. If you know how to make good use of suffering, and then you are able to create happiness. Suffering and happiness inter are. And that is why we should not look at our suffering as enemy. As an enemy. Our suffering may be a very important ingredient for us to make uh, happiness and peace and brotherhood. You need the mud in order to make uh, lotus flowers. That is the teaching of uh, uh, dependent uh, uh, arising, co-arising, the teaching of uh, interbeing. You cannot be by yourself alone. You have to interbe with every one of us. So that is how the left is telling the right. I know I cannot be by myself alone. I have to interbe always with you, my right. And if you are politically on the left, you can tell the right. <laughs> and you should not hope for the right to disappear altogether. If the right disappear altogether, you disappear at the same time. Everything is related and suffering and happiness. That is why a practitioner has to learn the art of handling the suffering. She learned the art of making happiness, of course, but she has to learn the art of handling the suffering. And uh, tomorrow we will speak about uh, the breathing exercise that help us handling suffering and handling happiness.